All right. God is so good. Amen. As you take your Bible, turn to the book of Job. We begin in Job chapter 2, verse 1 this morning. We have navigated our way through chapter 1 of the book of Job. I ask you to turn with me to Job chapter 2. If you want to use that pew Bible there in front of you, you can grab a hold of it, and you'll find Job chapter 2, verse 1, on page 577. I ask you to turn in your word as we walk through it together. As you're turning, I have run 10 full marathons. That's 26.2 miles. I've done that 10 times. I've run the Music City Marathon in Nashville five times, and I've run the Rocket City Marathon in Huntsville, Alabama four times, and then I have run a rock and roll marathon in Phoenix, Arizona once. A marathon, as I said, is 26.2 miles in distance, and statistics show that far less than 1% of the population has run a marathon. I'm not sure why I did. I guess it just seemed like the next running thing to try. In running, especially in running a marathon, there is something called hitting the wall. Technically speaking, this, this wall occurs somewhere around the 20-mile mark in your run. It's the point where your, your energy or your glycogen is depleted from your muscles, and that forces the runner to slow down or to make some adjustments. Sometimes those adjustments are walking. Sometimes those adjustments are quitting right where they are. I can tell you that the wall is a very real thing, but there are things that you can do to help prepare for that reality. You see, the wall is going to come if you stay running long enough, but you, there are ways to push through the wall. I read in Runner's World magazine these tips for making it and navigating and pushing through the wall. Do weekly long runs. Begin to train your body for longer periods of time. If you're going to run a marathon, you can't just wait till the day of the marathon to say, hey, I think I'm going to run a really long way. Run at least one run that is 18 to 20 miles in length. It makes sense that if you're going to stretch yourself that you need to push yourself to race length or to long runs. You need to run at the pace that you desire to complete the race in. Training at one speed and then running at another speed will create problems for you. Be careful how fast you start. You see, adrenaline and the emotion of that moment can cause a runner to start out much faster than they anticipated, which means you're going to burn up energy much faster than you anticipated, and you might hit that wall even quicker. Every now and then, some would say, take a 30 to 60 second walk to allow your body to actually recover just a little bit before you begin to run. And then it also says that you need to consume calories during the race. Yes, you, are, you need to eat while you're running. It's not something that I'm very good at because I can't eat and drink at the same, and run at the same time, but you need to eat. If you're going to burn calories and energy, you need to keep feeding your body to be able to do this. If you do hit the wall, regardless of those things, focus on something other than the race. Remember and recommit to your goal. Adjust your pace and strategy to take reality into account. Every runner will hit the wall if they run far enough. Pushing through the wall will allow you to find that second or third or fourth wind you need in order to complete the race that you're running. Now, with that backdrop, let's stand together and read from Job chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Job chapter 2. 
It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shard which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this for the next few minutes. Now, verse 1 brings us back to a very familiar place. It says, again, there was a day. Now, in Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, we talked about that first day where uh, God gathered everybody together. And then we discussed that second day in Job chapter 1, verses 13 and 22, when Job lost all of the stuff that he had, including his children. This day, as we find in Job chapter 2, verse 1, will be the third day that we've sort of talked about, um, that we've read about so far. Now, we're not told, nor can we be certain as to how far after the second day, after the issues that we talked about Job having encountered last week, the loss of everything that he had, including his family. We don't know how long that break has been. Um, some places in Scripture that we'll read in coming weeks will give us some indications that it might have been a longer period of time. But uh, we don't need to worry too much about how long the time is. We just stick with the reality. Verse 1 says, "Is when the sons of men came to present themselves to the Lord. If you'll recall, we have discussed that these were the angels of God called together, and I called it three weeks ago, a, a staff meeting to both give account as to what they had been doing and to receive direction from the Lord as to what they were to do next. And so you can understand a whole lot more about how God interacts with them if you want to go back and, and catch that sermon that we talked about earlier in Job chapter 1. And verse 1 says, And Satan came also among them. Just like the first meeting that we got to see, Satan attends this meeting. So when the sons of God, the angels of God, are called before the Lord to give account for themselves, Satan is amongst those who come. And again, we discussed this on August the 6th, that God is sovereign over all things, even Satan. But note, each angel, every angel, had to give account of themselves. And in verse 2, the Lord says to Satan, from where have you come? Church, the Lord knows exactly where Satan has been. He knows exactly what he's been up to. What the Lord is doing is causing Satan to understand his accountability before the Lord. And verse 2, Satan says, 
Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth, which is the last thing that he said to the Lord the last time they were in this conversation. And we read scriptures there that say that's what Satan does. He, he goes to and fro all over the earth, seeking whom he may devour, who he might be able to still kill and destroy from. Satan can only do, church, what God allows him to do. Satan is always, capital always, accountable to God. Verse 3, it says, The Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, Job is described, and this is the third time in this book already that we have heard Job described this way. He is blameless. He is upright. He is one who fears God and one who shuns evil. Verse 3 says, the Lord goes on to say, and there is none like him on the earth. Now, I have to tell you, that's probably a pretty good compliment coming from God Almighty when he says, I know this man, he is my servant. So he claims relationship with Job, and he said, there's none like him. And then God goes on to say two very interesting things here that he's not said before. Look at verse 3. One thing that he says, he says, he still holds fast to his integrity. Regardless of all that Job had experienced, because, regardless of all that Job had lost, his faith and his, and his integrity remained. Recall last week, if you talk about it in Job chapter 1, verse 20, that Job rose after all of this loss to worship God. Thing number two in verse 3, God says that Job was impacted without cause. The church, we need to stop and recognize then because it sets a good point for us for the rest of the book. Job had done nothing incorrect. You know, we've talked about, and it's a good reminder, so many times we think that if we're good, good things should happen, and if we're bad, bad things should happen, and that's just fair, and that's just right, and that's just not the way life operates. Job had gone through all of these tragic things, these losses, but he had done nothing to deserve it, nothing to deserve discipline or judgment. Job was taken through these events, the ones up to this point and the ones coming, to prove that God is worthy to be glorified more than all things. Remember, we spent a great amount of time setting that foundation of God's glory more important than everything. And this week as I was studying, I could not get away from this phrase that you see in verse 3. And he still holds fast to his integrity. Still holds fast. That means diligence. Means he did not quit. Means he keeps moving forward. He kept seeking the Lord. He kept serving the Lord. It's almost as if in this phrase, when you go back to the original language, that Job took a moment and he re-gripped, got a better hold of God through this. That he holds fast to his integrity. Regardless of the circumstances, Job had faith. And he trusted God and allowed God to be glorified in his life. Now let me ask you an interesting question for you to consider. Because we know what's coming. We've read it already. At what point do you curse God? You're going, 
Well, that's a strange question for the pastor to ask on a Sunday morning. At what point do you curse God? We've known people that have struggled with the realities of life. People that have turned. Think about it this way. When does your integrity, your faith that you've placed in Christ, when does it hit the wall? When do you begin to go, I can't take another step forward? Verse 4, Satan answers the Lord. And they said, remember, the Lord was pointing out how faithful Job had been and how faithful Job still was being. And Satan uses this, this phrase common in that day and time. He says, skin for skin. This phrase is a bartering term, meaning to trade one thing for another. And Satan is insinuating that Job's faithfulness to everything that occurred so far was based upon it was stuff that he was willing to trade in order to keep things from happening to him personally. Now think about this phrase. We think about this when we talk about, have you ever seen a situation and you go, man, I'm glad I'm not them. We know what it's like to sometimes say, well, it could be worse. Skin for skin. It could be worse. And Satan utters this phrase, basically saying that Job is only, has only been faithful to God because it was all that he had and that it was not actually impacting Job's personal being at all. And note these words that Satan says next in verse 5. He said, but stretch out your hand now. Note, Satan recognizes and tells the truth here that it is directly and indirectly God's hand that brings everything to pass. If God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, then everything that happens happens because of his causing or his allowance, and his allowance, church, is his causing. We've got to recognize all of this, and Satan says, but if you, God, if you touch him personally, he'll curse you. The Lord says, okay, he's in your hand, but spares life. Now, it's interesting here, church. The Lord knows that Job's integrity and his faith will triumph. And the Lord desired a faithful witness from Job to the world. The world then, those around him, and the world today. This faithful witness will also be a faithful witness in the future until the Lord returns. So I've asked you one question. When does your integrity hit the wall? When do you curse God? Here's the second question. How could God be this confident in the integrity and the faith of Job? And because Satan comes and he says, your boy Job, you're protecting him. And God says, well, have at it. Satan touches everything, and Job stays faithful. And then Satan comes back and says, well, it's because you didn't touch him. It's because you just touched his stuff. People can get new stuff. God says, no, I believe he'll be faithful. You can touch him. Just leave him alive. How could God be that confident that Job would remain faithful? 
How could God know that Job would keep on running once he hit the wall? Or maybe in the case of Job, once the wall hit him. So God must know something about Job. So here's another question for you to consider that I'm having to consider. When God looks at you right now, what does he think about your faith and your integrity right now? You see, God looks at Job, and he knows Job, and he's told us what he thinks about Job, and he knows Job is going to stand through all of this. Made me wonder, okay, God, when you look at me, do you see faith and integrity, or do you see something else? So the conversation ends between Satan and between God, and Verse 7 says, so Satan went out and struck Job. Now, it's interesting to note a couple of things. One is how immediate this event happened. Remember when we talked about first staff meeting, God says you can touch his stuff but not his person. And then it says, and another day. So we know that some time passed between God's granting access to Job and Satan causing destruction in Job's life. Then it says in another day, which we don't know how long the time passes between when the destruction first in Job's life and then when God and Satan chat again and God grants access to Job again, but this time his person. We don't know how long those times were in between, but what we do know is in this moment, Satan left God's side and went directly to Job. It was immediate. Also note that it was Satan himself that struck Job personally this time. Remember last time when the four events happened, there was the wind and there was the lightning and there was this country who came in and did something and there was this group of raiders that came in and did something. And so there was this one sort of one step removed. But we lose that removal this time. Satan immediately leaves God's side, immediately goes to Job, and Satan immediately strikes Job with painful boils. I think Satan knows that for his case, this is an important moment, that he really believes that he can break Job's faith and integrity. Again, what does God think about your faith and your integrity right now? How easily can it be broken? Verse 7, Job was struck with painful boils. Scripture says they didn't miss a spot on his body from his head to his feet, the crown of his head, the soles of his feet. He's covered. Job was immediately hit with this physical issue. And many have attempted, I've read lots of stuff this week, to name or define this particular disease, and I'm not sure anyone can do that with certain, and I, to be honest with you, I'm not so certain that that's important for us to understand. We just need to understand what's happening in Job's life. And all throughout the book, and as you read along with me through these next weeks as we walk through Job together, I want you to be able to see all of the scriptural indications of the impacts to Job's life and the side effects that Job encountered because of these boils. It's an interesting thing to me that sometimes, if we're not careful, 
will go that Job was minding his own business. Satan came in and gave him boils. Job was faithful. Boils were healed. Life moves on. But we're going to find that this is a long, long, long process in Job's life. So much so that in chapter 7, in verse 3, you don't have to go there. I'm just alluding to where we're going. Job says this, I have been allotted months of futility. Church, this is a long process. But let me just come back and show you some side effects of what Job, and, and I've got all the scriptures written down here in chapter 7. Insomnia, worms, scabs, hopelessness, depression, nightmares, choking, wishing for death, weakness. In Job chapter 16, losing weight. In Job chapter 18, skin eaten up with disease. Job chapter 19, verse 17, bad breath. Job 19.20, continues to lose weight. 19.26, all of his skin is impacted. Job chapter 30, constant pain, insomnia, infection, wounds, skin turning black, discoloration. We're 30 chapters in. This is a long time happening in Job's life. And so I just need us to understand that this is a traumatic thing that's happening in Job's life. And also, due to this disease, Job, many believe, leaves his home, sits in the ashes, which some say is the trash dump of the town. That many think that he's been relegated and begun to be treated like a leper by many, which is an outcast. And remember, we've talked about Job, and we talked about how Job had a position in his community. He wasn't just great in the eyes of God. He was influential in the community that he lived in, and now he's been treated this way. So it's not just that he's lost all of his stuff and all of his family. Now he's lost all of his health, and now he's lost all of his influence, and now he's lost his home. Verse 8 says that he sit in the midst of the ashes. Now we know his wife is around, because we hear from her in just a minute. And we know that he has friends that will eventually be around. But every facet of Job's life physically is now impacted. So much so that when his friends arise, when they see him, they do not even recognize him. Now, church, I don't know about you, but I stopped, and I've had some lousy feeling moments in my life. And I'm sure that if you stop and you think about things that you've gone through, things that you've been impacted by, that you've had some moments that you could not wait to get out of, that you would do anything to get rid of the pain, the issue, the challenge in life. This scripture and all that I've shared helps us recognize that this was no small thing that hit Job. It's a big deal. So much so that we get to verse 9 and we hear from Job's wife. Now, we've not seen her before this moment, and we do not really see her again in the book. But now she chooses to speak. And here's what she says in verse 9. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
second time, still hold fast. So it caught my attention. You know, there are many different perspectives one could take about Job's wife. Some say, well, she's now lost her faith. She's lost everything Job's lost. Some could say that she has lost so much and now she sees her husband at a point where death had to be better than what he was going through. We know that she struggles in her faith because we hear about her later in the book of Job. But she's being used by Satan in this moment to bring about the very outcome Satan desires for Job to turn from God. Isn't it an interesting thing? You can lose your stuff and you go, I can get more stuff. You can lose family. I can get more family. I can lose my health. I'll get better. But then Satan uses the person that's closer to Job than anybody to bring about his desire. It made me thankful. Church, you need to have good people around you. People that will not allow your circumstances to bring you down. Will not allow their circumstances to bring you down. That they will hold their faith and integrity and they will help you. My wife would have probably said, get up, get busy, do something. You need people in your life that will not allow you to lose focus. Look around you. Do you have people in your life? Now, I don't think she meant to be used by Satan. But our faith game is such an important thing that Satan will pull out all the stops and he'll come after everything. Church, look around you. If you've got the wrong people around you, it'll eventually cause you a problem. You got the right people around you, it'll eventually be to your benefit. In verse 10, Job responds to her, and he says, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Now, Job didn't talk bad about his wife. He said, You sound like the other people. He's heard this before, and he says, You're better than this. I know that you're hurting, but let's not lose our perspective. You see, the foolish as Job has described here, they all accept all the good that God wants to give, but they reject all the adversity. They allow adversity to move them from God. Do you notice what Scripture doesn't say here? Job didn't say, well, shall we accept all the good and not accept all the bad? God doesn't say any of this is bad. His purposes and plans for us are always for our good. Know what God calls this. He called this adversity. Adversity is opposition. It's what you use in order to grow stronger. And Job's reminding her. This is just opposition, an attempt for us to be moved away from God. This view is not faith and integrity. The wise, Job says, don't be like the foolish. The wise see all things as from God and all things are intended for their good, and they trust that God is faithful and commit to staying diligent. 
Think about this. Galatians 6, 9, church. Do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. But then I saw this scripture, Psalm 66, 8 through 12. It says, Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us, and you have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Job says, God is good, and therefore we accept all the good he brings into our life. And then Job says, God is good, therefore we accept all the opposition that God brings in to our lives. And verse 10, Job stayed faithful. It says that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And just as a caveat, this does not mean that Job sinned in his heart. It just meant that Satan had said, he'll curse you, and we're taught, no, he didn't. But I want us to revisit one point that I just could not get all the way over. Remember in verse 3, it says, God knows Job still holds fast to his integrity. By allowing Job to be impacted again, God knows that Job will hold fast to his integrity. You're going, well, how does God know that? Well, just think about this. If God knew that Job was going to fail, how would that be glorifying unto God? God knew that Job would be faithful. But how could God know? Let me share with you. Write this verse down. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, can I remind us that faith is what saves us? It is this faith that saved Job. And you're going, hold it, how can you say that Job was saved? He's not even, he's pre-Abraham. Just hang in there. Let me tell you, Jesus shows up in the book of Job. But notice that the faith that Job has, it's not like Job is some superman with faith, better than you. He has the faith that God has given to him. Same faith you have. It's a gift. If you have faith in Jesus as your Savior today, it is God that granted you the ability to have that faith. God does not want us to rely on our own beliefs, our own personal faith, our own power, our own resources, even if we had them. Faith is presented as a gift from God. Write these verses down. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 
Peter opens the book of 2 Peter. We just preached on this not many months ago. It says, For those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obtained. That's not something that you home grow. That's something that you're given. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That faith that you have has been given to you. So this faith that Job has, that God is so confident in, that he allows Satan to touch his life. Again, we're reminded that what God is allowing to happen in Job's life is a reminder to us today that you can stay faithful when you hit the wall. Peter said this in his preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. It says, yes, the faith which comes through him. Faith is a gift of God. And if you train, and if you run, and if you consume the word, and if you rest in him, and if you pace yourself, and if you push yourself, when you face the inevitable troubles that this life will bring, when you hit this wall, this will be an opportunity for you to be reminded of the goal and the purpose, that God will grant you your second win, that your faith will uphold you, and you will finish the race well. So when Job's wife challenged him to let go of his faith and his integrity, to curse God and die, church, let me tell you what I believe. He couldn't. Even if he wanted to. Because it was faith given to him by God. And the God who gives it to you is the God who strengthens it, grows it, and allows you to stand up with it. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God knows that his faith that he desires to give to you is strong enough for you to bring glory to him? I am. I'm glad. God says, whatever comes, good, I gave it to you. Adversity, I gave it to you for my glory. But not only that, I gave you the faith to be able to stand up under it. That's why God is so confident in Job, because it is God that is working in Job that will cause him to keep pushing. It is God that desires to work in Jeff. It is God that desires to work in you. And church, I pray that you will allow him to. Your circumstances are not bigger than God. They have a purpose for God to be honored and glorified in them. Amen?